if somebody listened to this podcast for a whole year, every episode, what type of transformation are they going to get? Mm-hmm. What what are they going to receive from doing that? Their person A, when they started, they listened to 100 of your episodes. Who are they as person B? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Show. I'm here with Big Nick Natali, podcast legend. What's up? Is that how you like to be introduced? Podcast legend. Podcast legend, yeah. Internet BFF. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the great and powerful. Amen. Yeah, all the above. Man, these are acclimates that I, I'm going to get. I'm either going to get them tattooed or... Get in the t-shirt. Yeah, or put, a, put them straight in my LinkedIn... Uh, bio right there appreciate it jared happy to be here thank you we're gonna be having fun today so we're gonna be grilling some pork chops uh with nick uh nick is host of the aptly named nick natale nick natale show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh who it's it's italian as he's told me mm-hmm. it's italian and uh big nick we're gonna be doing some bone-in duroc pork chops today duroc is a type of pork you ever heard of duroc pork chop i have not lay it on me so I didn't. I had never heard of them until the uh, until the butcher told me about them, uh, and now I am Dwayne DeRock Johnson because I love them. Uh, they are a much thicker cut, very uh, very. I don't know, it's just quality quality pork. They call it the other white meat. So <laughs> we're gonna season these up. I'm seasoning these up with. My fourth week in a row, Pimp and Meat Church, until they become a sponsor, folks. Come on now. Hashtag not a sponsor, Meat Church, Texas Sugar. Man, those look like some quality cuts there. You got to season both sides. You can't do this one side season. No, you got it. All the seasons. Season it up. Four seasons. Staying at the four seasons here. The four seasons. I'm the fourth. <laughs> All right, let's put these bad boys on here. How did you get into meats, Jared? That's what I want to know. What 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 found your passion for meats? Well, uh, Nicholas, uh, I'm gonna call you Nicholas because I feel like that was somewhat condescending. Nicholas, I am a hefty gentleman. Okay, uh, I like meat. I like I like business, and uh, and that was that was the the hence the the thought for the podcast was let's make a podcast where. I wanted to. I wanted to grill out. See, I loved. I love grilling out. When I, so I started a company way back when, mm-hmm. and I never had a chance to grill out much because I was literally always working. And then when I wasn't working. I was being a dad or whatever. And um, I'm in a different phase of my career now. And I was like, I want to start grilling out more. And I also had this idea to have a podcast. And I thought the one thing I don't want to do is create one of these like Harvard Business School mm. podcasts. No offense to you know. HBS or whatever, Harvard Business School, but mm-hmm. it's just not me. And I also didn't want to, you know, create another one of these like business startup bro podcasts. We're crushing it, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. that kind of crap. Um, like I wanted to have a, I wanted to have a unique spin and I also wanted to have honest conversations and it's hard to be a pretentious asshole uh, when you are grilling out meat. And so that was the theory, but well, we're going to try to be pretentious assholes today. So yeah. Please, yeah. Let me let me let me hop on my soapbox. That's interesting. You say that. I have a friend who, uh, he he does he does business far better than I do business. But one of the things that he does is he'll take his like clients or just people who he works with, and he'll take them on hikes, and it drops that wall that people carry, Ooh. like maybe inside of an office setting or something like that. And I feel like that's similar to these meets. You know, it's like 
you're going to speak differently. You're going to share more things about you. So it's just more, you know, conversational, sexual, conversational, conversational and casual than it is like, let me put on this face because I have to be the conversational. I have to be the best business person in the room when in reality, like, you know, you're doing business with people and like getting to know the people you're doing business with is, you know, important. Yeah, we used to have a tactic when I worked uh, with Measure Learning that was really effective. And one of the things we would do is we would go and we would we would organize these big dinners with lots of current clients and prospective clients and partners and everything. We'd go and we'd, we'd have this dinner and we'd, we'd pick a, you know, a cool restaurant with some good food. And then we would open it up and we would say, hey, everybody, thanks for being here. Um, I know you probably think you're getting ready to have a sales presentation mm-hmm. and you're not. And so there's one rule. We're going to pick up the tab for dinner, but there's one rule tonight and that it is no work talk. Mm. Um, nobody's allowed to talk anything, no shop, no work, no anything. Talk about anything but that. And um, what would happen is people would kind of go, huh, okay. And then five minutes in, they're like, well, somebody goes, well, you know, they start talking about the safe subjects. What city are you in? You know, you had any good food, sports Mm -hmm. teams, the weather. And then by the end of it, people are talking about their moms Mm -hmm. and there's, you know, their dreams and their hopes. And then by the end of it, they're begging you to Mm -hmm. talk about, business because now they trust you or they get to know you personally and it's just there's people are so used to being sold Mm. from the moment an interaction begins that it's disarming when somebody will actually slow down and say you know hey let's get to know each other first um and then and then the business tends to flow so much more you know honestly and openly and genuinely after that yeah, hundred percent, and it's crazy. It's funny that that happens because I was thinking about this the other day as well. Is when somebody I go to somebody to purchase something and they ask me questions to like understand my pain points, my problems, and I tell them, and they go, "Hey, I just don't think we're going to be the best fit for you." You know, we think somebody else is, or like some this other organization or whatever it may be, or just be honest that like we can't help you right now until these other things happen, instead of being like, I'm gonna jump on this sale right now and close this and get your money real quick. It's crazy, because then I'm like, oh, I'm gonna refer these people, like these people are honest, like I can trust them to tell me the truth. It's almost like when you find a mechanic that's like, yeah, only your transmission is broken, not your transmission in your AC pump and your water pump, you know? It's like, yeah. okay, I can come back to you when I have a serious problem and you'll be honest with me. It's, it's a game changer. Speaking of being honest, so this is an outdoor podcast Mm-hmm. And uh, we were joking about this right before we got started. For the first time ever, there is a giant freaking dragonfly sitting on the camera that I'm being filmed on right now. And I'm wondering if he's going to crawl across the lens in just a second. So this is so we were talking, Nick, you know, I started this show and I wanted to do something different. And, and one of the things I had to learn to do was. Okay, I, first of all, I have to do a podcast outside mm-hmm. because you can't grill inside. So that produced tons of challenges. Like we had wind noise and people ask me why the hell I look like I'm at air traffic control with these giant headphones or whatever. Like this is the only ones that we could find that could isolate my voice and, you know, get birds chirping and everything else out of there. Um, and so that was kind of thing number one. And then we had to figure out like, where do we not get hit with the sun? And where do we, you know, cause I had my, my laptop would melt down sometimes mm-hmm. as I was doing all that. So once we figured out that, then we started figuring out how to do a cooking show, right? Mm-hmm. How do I cook food on a podcast? And I still don't think I have that all the way right because sometimes I get, the best episodes are when I can complete the food 
during the show and then eat it, mm. you know, and people can watch me burn my mouth and laugh yeah. and, and whatever. Uh, but we're right on the verge of Dragonfly Gate this time. So this is going to be breaking new ground for the show. I love it. I'm happy you gave details on, on what's behind the scenes because the episode that I listened to, I was fully expecting to, to just hear like the grill sizzling and flames bursting in the background the whole time. But it's like, yeah, you have great audio quality. When you open the grill, it's like satisfying too because it's like we're going to check on the meat and you hear just... And then you put it down. It's like, I feel like I'm experiencing this whole thing without like, you know, going through putting my ears through something that they can't recover from. <laughs> we haven't figured out how to get the taste over the mm. airwaves yet. That'll be next. That'll be next. So if you're not, if if you're listening and you're like, this show seems to be getting a little weird. This cutting in, cutting out. They're ch we're having a bunch of audio is issues and we don't know if it's the platform we're on. It can't be podcast legend Nick Natali. Okay, it could possibly it be, be either him. of us. Uh, mm. It might be. It couldn't be. No, this, it's I not think us. It's, I it's think not it's us. not us. It's them. It's the pod. <laughs> we're not going to throw. We're not going to throw the the platform under the bus. But I think there's some fuckery going on. Okay, so um, yeah, yeah. we are grilling some pork chops. I think I have figured out. If you didn't catch it earlier, uh, the I'm getting screwed by some probes. I don't know what's going on there. Um, I'm still waiting on that grill manufacturer to be a sponsor. You know, I'm just going to keep saying, I'm just going to keep saying it. Their logos in every damn show because it's right there. And, uh, mm. I can't get the guy on the show. We need to get Ray Carnes from Rectech on this show to tell me his story and tell me just how terrible I am at grilling. Yeah, please. That'd be, that'd be every man's dream. If he would just berate us over the grill. Just let us know what we're doing wrong. Why haven't? Why hasn't he hit you back? What's the deal? Are you sending him like pictures of yourself with the the pitch? You should send with the meat pictures of the meat. <laughs> Picture. I just I just say hey man, so like a bathroom selfie. Like hey bro, I want you on my podcast. <laughs> um, you know, like no, I haven't done that. Uh, I just, I figure, so I don't even really know. I, I've had, maybe I should reach out, but I felt like, I don't know, I, you know, maybe I haven't, I think, I'm pretty sure I did reach out at one point. We've, we've tried them probably 10 times. And you just, you know, Dang. man, the guy, the guy, by the way, has legions of followers, um, does a lot of cool stuff on the internet, grills out, looks like he lives the, the barbecue legend life. And I don't, I don't blame him for not wanting to come on some shitty backyard podcast. Oh, don't say that. Take that back. As soon as he gets a whiff of those pork chops you're cooking up right now, I'm, I mean, hey, maybe that's another strategy. Instead of sending an email, just send him a box of like pre-cooked pork chops and be like, this is what you're missing out on. You know, if you want, if you want the real deal, sponsor this. Slow smoked. It's a good thought there. It's not, you know, that's a good thought. So tell, so I would love to know more about your show there doesn't seem to be like any necessarily particular uh you only have this type of guest or whatever like you have a lot of interesting people on there so how did you how did that show come about and what is sort of the aim of the Nic the nicholas the nick natale show shoot i'll give you the streamlined version of it so i went to college uh, for software engineering and then i ended up in loads of debt about sixty thousand dollars and i was only there for three years so really, it probably should have been more, but I came out with 60K in debt. I moved into my car 
because I wanted to pay it off quickly. And while I was living in my car, I had these like interesting interactions where people would just come up to me and just want to talk and tell me their life stories, whether that was like warranted or not. Like, I don't think I was out there with the sign, like, please come tell me. But I was also I was cooking pasta on the tailgate, you know, <laughs> making some things. And I think that brought people around because because I would I would give out food too, you know, like if somebody wanted to play spaghetti, I'd I'd hand it out. But then they'd also share their life story with me. And some of them were so interesting and some of them were absolutely crazy. And I was like, you, I don't even think a lot of this is real. Like I had people telling me about how like aliens were contacting them. And I'm like, this makes a lot of sense. You telling the guy that lives in a car about this and not <laughs> anyone else. Long story short is I was hearing these stories and I wanted other people to be able to listen in on them too. So I started a podcast and I was doing it similar to the backyard style. I was doing it inside of my Suburban, uh, 86 Suburban, and similar issues. Like I was using my phone as a hotspot and it would overheat. Um, and I just did about 65, 70 episodes. And then when I finally got a place, I moved inside. And uh, season one was dedicated to like our big three was entrepreneurs, entertainers, and experts. And now in season two, we're kind of getting more granular of like we want entrepreneurs, but more so entrepreneurs that either really, really know their stuff about something or they have a, a wicked story of losing everything and failing big and then winning big right after, stuff like that. That's really exciting and fun to hear about, but also practical because I want to know how people are balling out. I want to know that like, you know, what, what, what to avoid and what to do. So that's it in a nutshell. And who knows where it'll go moving forward because I feel like I could smell the meat through uh, through my screen here, and I might be swayed. So you're two years, you're two, or it's not two years, you're two seasons into this podcast? Two seasons. The Season one was 139 episodes, which... Holy shit, that was a lot. Too, that was too much. And <laughs> season two, season two, I think we were like 24, 25 episodes in, um, but each with their own layers of difficulty and similar similar things we're experiencing is just like you learn every episode i think that's what's so intriguing to me about yeah. the podcasting space is like i've never walked away from an episode and not learned something either through the person i'm interviewing or like i should have done something differently my follow-up questions am i listening enough knowing when to interject all of those things is 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 great have you had similar experiences with your podcast do you feel like you're learning a lot about yourself and other things as well I feel like um, the delay that we're experiencing here is making this a much more Oprah-style interview, and I would much rather be <laughs> like just bantering back and forth. Wait, there's something under and my I don't, seat? So Riverside FM needs to get their shit together. Oh, yeah. So, no, you, we have a um, – we have a like, an, like I said, an outdoor backyard podcast where we're grilling, and I'm learning something every week. And for me – I'm also, you know, people take shots at what the way I'm cooking and whatever, and like I don't really care. But no way, I'm also learning how to grill a lot better. And so, a couple of episodes back, like I had a um, something called a picanha, picanha, mm -hmm. and it's a uh, it's like a beef cut that's similar to a brisket, and you. I cooked it, I slow smoked, I never smoked anything like it before. I went to the butcher shop when I was getting ready for a show, and they were like, you should try this. You've never, and I thought, well, this will be fun to sort of figure out on the show. Dude, that is one of my new favorite things to do, is it's a flat piece of beef, mm -hmm. 
that you can season and do. I'm looking at my mouth water and talking about it. You can do it all sorts <laughs> of different ways. And uh, it just came out so tender and so awesome. And I got to show people on a show, uh, me doing that for the first time and going, wow. You know, most cooking shows you see is like Gordon Ramsay or somebody that really knows what the hell they're doing and, and mm-hmm. is trying to teach you mm-hmm. to do it. And I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, I kind of do. But uh, I think that's, you know, what I hope is alluring about this show is that you're watching a dude just legitimately cooking out in his backyard. And sometimes he's good at it and sometimes he sucks at it. Yeah, I do think that's like the interesting point. I think a lot of, and I think about this in terms of like, there was a time on YouTube where daily vlogs were a big thing. And I I think there's like a residue of what was appealing about those or appealing about things like this. It's like when we watch other people grow as we follow them or listen to their podcast week after week, we're like seeing them improve in advance we almost view that as like milestones for ourselves too. like, Oh, when that person did that thing, I was also learning about this in my life. And there's like a relationship that's formed there. So I feel like you mastering different types of things. And when it comes to the grill is almost builds a a relationship in some way with your audience. I do. So that's, that's my hot take on it, Jared. And I don't know. It wasn't a vlog, a weird thing. Like I try to explain to my kid, my oldest daughter's 13 now. Mm-hmm. And when I try to explain the early internet to her, it doesn't make sense. Like, so we're going to get, so every day somebody would get on camera and they go, well, today, you know, I was driving to the work and somebody, and like, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense to today's refined Gen Z that everything is so carefully choreographed or I'm literally getting up and I'm doing dances mm. and things. I just wouldn't make sense to them. Which, by the way, the, the tick, when I told people that I was putting my show clips on TikTok, they were like, this dude's dancing? Like, what? And it's, I don't understand <laughs> the Gen Z. I sound like an old grandpa now. But I don't understand the Gen Z. I have to, um, I have to like dance in order to tell. Like, you see these cringe videos of people that are literally like sitting next to someone in a hospital bed and going, they're not going to make it. And they're doing all these little dances as they do it together. And it's like, is this the only way you know how to express yourself is to dance while you're, you're grieving, you're, you know, crying. And it's, it's, I don't know, man, this is, I like to say, I like to think there was a long time where I was pretty much riding the crest of the technology wave, and I feel like I'm mm-hmm. spilling over and, and kind of wiping out right now and getting getting killed. Oh, man. Jeez. Now, man, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on AI then. You think AI is going to take the, the grilling out of the show? They're going to take over? I think the last probably five or six years, you've had a couple of fads pop up in tech. Uh, the... The metaverse being the most notable, where you had people that had been right about trends before were um, saying this is the next thing. And you just had so many businesses and people, investors all just fall in line and like this is the next thing. And the metaverse never made sense to me. Um, mm. So and it, and it eventually sort of crashed and burned. And I, I still sort of floating around out there. But you can see Facebook sort of pivoting from that and everything because I. Cause I Something it's hard for something to catch on when the average person doesn't understand its value. And that's the difference with AI because AI when 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 the average person thinks about artificial intelligence, literally everyone understands 
an application where that would be valuable mm-hmm. or, or at, at, a, at a minimum where that would be effective, maybe not valuable. That's debatable. But I think artificial intelligence um, is the most significant internet uh, technology f- wave of the last, you know, probably 15 years. I think the social media revolution of like the 2005, 2007 era when you started to see social media networks really become prevalent, that was a major moment in technology history because that technology went on to topple governments, you know, uh, and do mm. lots of really significant things. Um, but artificial intelligence, I, I mean, everyone goes to the extreme where they talk about like the Skynet and it's, ah, we're going to be in fight with the robots. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, there's certainly, there's certainly scenarios where you could see that, the, something that that maybe in maybe in like a microcosm, but I think what's much more likely is we're just going to see lots of situations where we fundamentally change the way we think and do things. And so I'll give you an example. It used to be when when I was growing up in school, it was a significant thing to know all the the capitals of all fifty states in the United States. Like oh, you know, capital of Rhode Island is Providence yeah. and whatever. Nobody puts any value on that kind of rote memorization anymore because you know you're one second away from getting that answer on your phone. Mm-hmm. And I feel like artificial intelligence is going to kind of do the same thing. I had a marketing email that I needed to send out a couple of months ago, and I had writer's block, and I literally went to chat GPT and described my company and who I was trying to send that email to, and it wrote me a fantastic marketing email. And I ended up editing it, mm-hmm. but and so it... Ultimately, I wrote the email, but it was a tool to get me out of writer's block, right? I took, well, I don't like what they wrote, but I edited it my way and had something. And I think that's what artificial intelligence is likely going to do. It's going to change the way people solve small problems like that. At least that'll be what it does first. Yeah. I think you make a great point about it being accessible to the average consumer because most people don't want to put on a VR headset in the metaverse just to have a meeting that they could have had over the phone. There's a lot of not <laughs> a whole, right. not a whole lot of application for them. But in with like chat GPT, there's a media application because exactly what you're saying. It's applicable to everybody. And I think there's already enough resemblance for people Googling things that there's also not as much of a barrier to entry where people are intimidated by it they kind of view the prompts as like, oh, it's just like another search bar that I've been using for the past 10 years so I can jump into it. The thing that I do think is interesting that we'll have to see how it plays out is I've seen a lot of different takes on whether it's going to create new jobs or steal more jobs or balance each other out. But the conclusion that I've made just from seeing and hearing all these different different opinions is that soft skills and social skills are going to be way more valued over time because that's the one thing that AI will never be able to replicate is building relationships and having human interaction. So the person that was previously writing code that we thought was like ahead of the curve, now they can be replaced because AI can write the code. But the person that was managing those people writing the code might still have a job because they can still make relationships with other people. That's a good point. I think, you know, when you say soft skills, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. The way I think about it is um, if you really want to thrive in in the world 15, 20 years from now when AI really has kind of fundamentally changed the economy, you have to think of things in mind. You have to understand value creation and where 
where value comes from. And so an, an, an example of that is, so one of the companies that, that we're running now, um, Tough Dog Coatings, does a, uh, a garage floor. Like you could see this cool like flake garage floors that look like something out of a magazine or whatever. So we do that, right? We source those products from, uh, from a distributor. We make sure we know exactly how they're made and we can you know, find people that need them. AI is not going to do that. AI is not going to see, ooh, there are people in this world that have dirty garage floors and hate them. And ooh, there's this product over here. And I'm going to go piece all of that stuff together. AI can do like linear decision making mm -hmm. right now, but it's not going to identify where there's an opportunity for people. People will be happy to give you money to solve this problem for them. We're, I mean, we're nowhere near somebody's inventing something that's creating those things. Um, if we do get to that point, my goodness, you know, and maybe, but, but at a minimum, the first wave of that will still be maybe just identifying opportunities like that, not actually going and executing on them. And so, you know, I'm trying to arm my kids as they get ready for the next generation to understand like where value comes from. And when I say value, I mean like, how do you generate capital in ethical, sustainable ways? Um, and those things are not, they're going to alter as technology continues to change, but they're, that's never really going to go away. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. If you can provide enough value, somebody will end up giving you money for it. That's for sure. It is a, it is a very interesting time to be a part of all of this, though. Speaking of providing value, let's check the chops, baby. Let's go. What are they looking like? Let's see how we're doing. I no longer trust these probes. What do you think? I'm going to give you a little... What do you think about Ooh. that? That's on the grill cam. You see that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give look you a shot from me. the main cam. Look at that, bad boy. Oh. They do look juicy. People say that about me sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a compliment. They, they talk about your front or your back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jay, juicy. You don't have to answer that's that on there. <laughs> it could be either, baby. Oh! Pork chop fumble. We're good. I'm, I'm, I'm retiring the probes. They're getting me out of the... They're getting me into trouble. Um... Nice. Let's see what Ooh, backup probes here. So we want to take these things. Uh, oh yeah, man, Thermapro. So what did I say earlier? It's 145, right? So we still got some time. So I'm gonna glaze these bad boys mm. with a little barbecue sauce. Why? Mm. Because I'm feeling like it, baby. Sometimes you just do it because you feel like it. Here comes the here comes the haters. You don't do it like that. You don't. Who's saying you that? Don't just pour it. You could pour it, Jerry. This is your grill. It. This is your no, show. It's the haters. The haters, man. They hate us because they ain't us, is what people say. <sighs> they hate us because they ain't us. That's right. <laughs> they are anus. I'm going to buzz it. They are hating your anus. Um, look at that. This is going to caramelize nicely. The brush? Yeah, let me, let me get some like ESPN narrative for you. We got Jared with the brush. Given a nice even glaze across all chops. Glazing the chops. Yes. Uh, you could be a sportscaster. Have you ever tried it? You ever thought about doing that? I've imitated Mike Breen. Bang. Bang. His classics. <laughs> so tell me, how, how long ago did you live in, in that suburban? Ooh, good question. I started living in it in 2017, and I moved out toward the end of 2020. So I almost did a... About three, three full years in it. Wow. And when I lived in it, I also, my best friend at the time, he, um, 
he was going to get stationed somewhere in the military, but he had a year in between when they were going to deploy him. And I was like, hey, man, I can get you a job where I'm working. I was working for the Department of Defense. I got him a job and I ended up convincing him to live in the suburban with me. So there was two of us living in the suburban. There was two beds. Oh, my God. Mine was like six feet. One, like I'm, I'm six foot one and it was like six feet one. Like that's all I had. Like that was the full bed. And then there was another bed that was like a couch that you take the top off and put it in the middle and make a, a, a bigger bigger bed and we both we both lived in it he was in it for about a year i was in it for the full three but we were good influences and bad influences on each other at the same time in the sense of i was obsessed with paying off my debt like to the point where it was it, it was probably it was, i could probably say it's unhealthy yeah yeah like i was becoming malnourished because i wouldn't eat like i didn't want to spend any on anything that i didn't need to like it was oh. like i would i would work like 80 hour weeks, just bang out overtime, not eat, um, 10% tithe, um, 88% student loan, 2% live off of, and like 1% of that was gas. So wow. we had this like running joke that we would say to each other is like, what's for dinner? And we'd be like, we're eating sleep. So instead of eating, we would just try to go to sleep early and <laughs> not eat It's bad. My eyes were sunken. I lost like 30 pounds. It's terrible. Wow. It's awesome though. It's fun. Gee whiz! But you got out of debt, obviously. It did. Um. So that I think that was worth it. The re- the yeah. result was worth worth it in the long run. I do feel freer. Have you ever reached out to the Dave Ramsey show, and like, I mean, that guy. You you were like you were like a if he was to create like a monster. You know, he's this guy <laughs> preaches and people are you know people are like I don't want to get the small latte to get out of debt. You know, I don't I don't want to buy clothes from Walmart. You know, I don't. I don't, you know what I mean? And he's, and you're over here going, I was, you literally were skipping meals. Dude, skipping meals, skipping sleep. Um, Yeah, it it was gnarly. And and I worked for the government and there was a time where I, I underwent a government investigation. And maybe this is why Dave won't hit me back. You know, it's too, too, too spicy. (laughs) They like thought I was a bum stealing from the government. That was like, quote unquote, they called me in and said that. They were like, yeah, we think you're stealing and you like live in your car and you're traveling around. I'm like, you see me coming to work every day. Well, how am I how am I traveling around? Um, to, to be fair, the amount of work that I was doing was uncanny for the culture that was built for the department I was in. However, I wasn't stealing. Obviously, I was doing I was doing good work and they. They like audited everything I had ever done, like checked every email, checked every text message, checked all my phone logs, checked all my like work Slack messages and like my time cards when I arrived to work, when I was leaving, like had people watching me kind of in a sense of like keeping an eye on me. They didn't find anything. They actually found out I was doing a better job than they even thought, which was kind of good in my sake. But I did get in trouble and they're like, you can't work any overtime and you're not allowed to do anything else. But it was stressful. It was a very stressful, like probably lasted about a month where they were just hounding me every day, like calling me in to ask me questions. And I was just trying not to say the wrong answers. I think that's an interesting, you said that's a cultural thing. I think that's a good way to frame that because it's like, you know, here you are doing the work of probably three employees and how are you rewarded, right? You're rewarded by harassment and non-belief mm-hmm. <laughs> you know which i think is you know god bless the government right i mean it's just the culture <laughs> there is one of self-preservation not of not of like you know 
oh, man, let's find our aces. And what do you need to be more successful, man? Hey, man, I see you working so hard. What can we do to make your job easier? Or what other problems can we have you solve? Or like, that's, what a, that's what a winning organization would do. Find an ace and see how you can build them up and, and get them, you know, support them. And the government's like, they see somebody like you doing that, and they're like, wait a minute now. Like you can't, I can't have you doing all that because what? What I'm going home. I'm going home at four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're you're dead on, Jared. And I think, I think something that I I left the DoD kind of feeling bad in one sense that, from what I know, I think it the Department of Defense was once that like they were getting the top talent, the cutting edge people, the people that were innovating. And that was exciting because it feels like, you know, you're, you're pushing America along. And somewhere over time, like the bureaucracy flew in, <laughs> you know, every decision has to go through 10 or 15 people. And obviously they can't compete with salaries and they're not doing cool enough, like innovative work to want top talent to come in. And I think that's such a bummer because I think having top talent in the Department of Defense or like these these government agencies where they actually do have like the capital resources to do great things. They don't or they can't or they don't want to. I think that's that's the part that bothered me most is like you have the ability to make crazy, like fantastic change and the resources to innovate, but you choose not to. And that that was frustrating to me. What's the largest uh, spending category for the government is is defense. And so you just you would you would hope. Right. That they're they're trying to get the best and the brightest in there. And that's certainly not saying anything about our military. I would like to interrupt this program. To just say that Gen Z, we were talking about Gen Z a second ago, and I, as we've said, I'm an outdoor podcast, <laughs> and live right now, on, in, I can see from my backyard two Gen Z young ladies actively filming a TikTok. Um, <laughs> and heard you earlier. Yep, there's a, this is going on with the arms and the, I can't, hey! Oh, they saw me. Nice. I'm waving. Yeah, they oh, they stopped the TikTok. Okay, well that's Aww. a shame. We'll see. Let's get. I can't. <laughs> yeah, there's. Bring them in. I'm not. I don't. There's. They're quite a ways away, and I think they're thoroughly free. Now they're back to dancing now. So, it's you know I'm learning now by watching these kids. Like how many efforts, how many it's it's a ways over there, and I was, I, I'm learning how many takes it takes to get these things right. I mean they've done this like 15 times. Hey, it's quality quality talks. I'll do it as many times as it takes. How hard can you hit the, you know, whoa, you gotta, you gotta really, it's about the angles, you know, how tight you can keep it. It's about creating quality talks, quality content. My kids uh, taught me the grizzy the other day. I was grizzy and I was a grizzy and SOB. Okay. I was grizzy and everywhere. Grizzy in the grocery store, grizzy and taking them to bed. Is it the gritty? Is it the gritty? The gritty. The gritty. <laughs> I think like, I do. I'll, yeah, the glizzy. I H- thought it was the grizzy. It's the gritty. I think it's the gritty. But you can do it. I'd love to see it. <laughs> I, you can't just toss that one out there and not not hit the gritty live right now. Hold on. We got. Hey, let's go. Let's hit Come the, on. So it's. They told me it's arms out. It's arms yep. out, and then it's kind of you jump yep. with the, you know, something. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Admittedly, <laughs> I'm in. Not. I'm not in gritty. I'm not in gritty shape right now. My dog is actually sitting at my feet, and it thinks I'm having a stroke right now from what I just did. But I think your dog knows knows what's up. He's seen you. This this episode is way the hell off the rails, by the way. 
this isn't what it's usually like. I, I feel like he knows. this isn't standard. You don't. No, with we, all your we're guests. not. We're not. We don't gritty. We don't call it the grizzy. I don't have uh, children in the backyard hitting TikToks. I mean, we've lost. We got to have Nick back on here when we have our shit together. Um, dragonflies. Nick, what is the? I need advice. Let's let's oh, look at yeah. the dragonfly. It's still sitting back there, by the way. It's ready to pounce. I need advice. I need Nick. Yeah, hit me. Nick uh, podcast advice. I'd so, love to. I'm out here cooking. Mm-hmm. I'm out here trying to be the podcast of the people. Mm-hmm. How do we get more people listening to the Slow Smoke Business Show? What do we do? How do mm. we get the word out? I mean, I think it's more about the, uh, we got to answer a couple questions first. The first question is, is like, if somebody listened to this podcast for a whole year, every episode, what type of transformation are they going to get? Mm-hmm. What what are they going to receive from doing that? Their person A, when they started, they listen to 100 of your episodes. Who are they as person B? Weight gain is the first thing, right? There you go. Plus gritty uh, techniques. Um, grid, gritty? Gritty. And um, The gritty. No, I mean, in all seriousness, I hope, I hope this show inspires people to have candid conversations about things that can make you better in life and Mm -hmm. and it doesn't always have to be in a super intimidating environment Mm -hmm. or around people with uh super impressive resumes or degrees um i like to think that you can learn something from anybody and and i like to have people on this show and then find out what i can learn from them i love it and then who's the who's the primary target that you're hitting i i mean i could take a guess but i want to hear from hear from you who 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 do you want the message to fall on what are yours I did, I did a lot of work with this at the beginning, and I really hope that the market I'm reaching is people that, um, obviously, obviously the entrepreneur sect for sure, but like people that want to do something great or make something out of themselves, and maybe they didn't go to the best school, maybe they didn't go to an Ivy League, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't even go to college, mm. right? But they've got drive, and they know that you don't necessarily have to get an education, but you can never stop learning. Mm. Right. And that they want to grow and be a better person and learn and think about things deeply. Um, you know, those are my people, man, the people that are trying to do something great, uh, but maybe didn't come from a, a high pedigree. Cause that's certainly me. Like I, I was, I really wanted to build something great. I built a tech company that was is used all over the world. And, I'm very proud of that, but I certainly didn't go to an Ivy League school, and I certainly didn't, you know, come from a community where people did that all the time. And that was—that's who I'm trying to reach. I hope people see my show and say, "Well, if that idiot can can do it, why can't I do it?" Wow. Yeah, I love that too. I would I would give that person a name in your head, that avatar, and then make every episode for that person. Like have have that be like them in mind like a a good example is one of my friends he has a podcast or he used to have a podcast that was in line with it was four people that had a nine to five that wanted to make an exit to start a new business and he was like um his like avatar's name was adam and so he was like this is for adam and adam is only able to listen on his commutes to and from work so i have to make these episodes shorter and this is like the pivotal information he needs to be able to make that jump like over the six months. So in the next six months, that's when he wants to do it. So each episode was dedicated to that particular person, which I think is 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 helpful because 
you know, the episode content or the episode ideas don't get swayed and it makes it easier to make decisions. And I'll also say something since you asked about growth earlier. I think what I'm starting to realize is I think a lot of times, and this would be something good to check your analytics on, is most shows don't entirely have a growth or growing problem. Like they don't always have a problem getting eyes on them. They have a problem retaining the listeners that they do get. Mm. So essentially like converting a listener that is interested in your podcast and they listen to one and then they don't subscribe and then they never listen to you again versus getting them to subscribe and then they listen to the next eight. And usually this happens, they make a decision in like the first 90 seconds of your podcast. So in the first 90 seconds, they're either going to choose to leave and never come back or stay and listen to the majority of your podcast and then realize like, oh, Jared's awesome. I'm going to stick around. So making the the introduction have like a really captivating emotional hook that's going to be like, hey, you know, if if you're someone that's you dropped out of college and you're looking for your next big business idea uh, or like you want to like hear from the top rated people in a, a, a casual way, like this is that podcast to get you to whatever that transformation we talked about earlier is. So they stay. That's my hot takes, Jared, off the top of my head. I don't I hope that's somewhat insightful. I love it. What's funny about this is this was just one big uh, ruse for me to get podcast advice, I guess. Right. Um, <laughs> I have a uh, I, I think I I'm I'm learning more about who the audience is, but I, I love the way that you frame that. Right. And I'm and I'm, I, you know, all good podcasts build a community. And that's what I'm sort of working on now is like, how do I connect the people that are listening uh, into kind of a group and, and trying to do that with social media and, and stuff. Uh, as well let's before we get too far though we got to get another pork chop check chop check chop check okay starting to caramelize on the top right those are looking fine wow another fumble that's two two fumbles on the day another fumble it's not you're not padding you're padding your stats like i guess in the wrong i'm like half of the nfl quarterbacks hey yo all right I'm like every University of Florida quarterback for the last 10 years, except for Anthony Richardson. Dang. Okay. Tell him. Let's hit him with a little. <laughs> Don't pour it. Don't pour, pour it. it. This right. is your signature move. This has become my new. Actually, you know, so if I'm ever going to come out with merch, probably one of the first things I'm ever going to do is hit him with mm-hmm. white barbecue sauce. You ever had white barbecue before? No. Never. Tell me what that's all about. White barbecue sauce. White barbecue is this delicious concoction that you usually drizzle over poultry, right? It's mayonnaise and sugar and cider vinegar, and it's like this tangy kind of sweet thing. It's hard to describe, but when you have it, you go, oh, that is the way that it's supposed to be done. It's in Alabama, kind of an original thing, originated here, really indicative. You got, you know, Texas has got brisket, the Carolinas has got... You know, they've got pulled pork, and Memphis has got Memphis-style ribs and all those things. And, you know, Bama's got chicken and turkey, man, with the white sauce. That's their style. Yeah. Wow. I think we're almost done. Let me get a little temp check. So do you ever cook outside? Do you ever like to, to grill out? I would, I would like to. I don't have access to a grill. I do have a friend that grills every Wednesday, and I do go to his place to get my grill on, but... I can't say I'm the one 
popping open the hood of the grill, you know? Well, don't be afraid. If there's un- another thing that people can learn from this podcast is, again, any idiot, any idiot can do this. We're real close on a couple of these, so we'll probably get another minute. I heard you're supposed to touch your palm. Is that true, Jared? You're supposed to be like, if I want my steak, I want it to feel like I'm touching. That is a technique, and I forget. It's like, uh, you know, the more the more tender the steak is, the rarer it is. And so if you touch a raw piece of beef, it's very kind of spongy. It moves a lot. And if you get like a Donald Trump well done, which he orders a steak well done, I think that's very humorous, right? If you get a well done steak, it, it's it's tough, right? And it, it you know yeah. you hit it. And so there's parts of your hand that you can touch, and I forget what they are. But the more tender they are, the more I think it's like rare is sort of in the crook of your hand, like between your thumb and your index finger. And if the meat feels like that, it's very very rare. And then if you get mm-hmm. kind of to the bottom of your palm, that's when it starts to get, you know, well done or closer to well tough. done because it's tougher. Um, that's a cute little way to do that. Uh, I just like a thermometer, <laughs> right? And they say, hey, Google, yeah. what is the temperature for medium well? And it says, that is such and such. And you go, yep, and you just measure it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, listen. Yeah. Yeah. One way to not screw something up, sous vide, right? Have you ever tried to sous vide something before? Like, that is the hotness. You put it in a bag, right? Mm-hmm. Seal it up in a bag. It's like a steak. Mm-hmm. And it and it goes in a water bath, and you have these one of these sous vide sticks that heats the water up. If you sous vide something, and then throw it on the the grill at the end just to kind of sear it and give it a little little a little gritty on the outside, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, man, you talk about making a good steak. Like you get, it's just tender. It you can cook it exactly if you want it one thirty four. You can dial up the thing. It will turn the water to one thirty four and hold it at that temperature. And then when you pull it out of the bag, it hasn't let any of the juice. The juice can escape, right? So it's just very juicy and tender. Whoa. And a lot of you see a lot of restaurants uh, have done that now because it's such an easy way to cook a steak and make and not jack it up. Wow. Do people do that with meats like lamb as well? I feel like that. I feel like I've maybe heard of such things. There's like a. It's like a. There's a machine for it, right? There's a machine to do it too. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about with the stick that gets things going? There's machines and then there's also like little like wands that you just sort of poke in a like a big pot mm. and it'll it'll like circulate the water through a heater and keep the pot. So you don't actually have the pot on a burner. It just kind of runs through and does that. But yeah, man, people sous vide lamb, chicken, you can do anything and you can also sous vide vegetables and uh I had this I had this like Thing years ago it was like a kickstarter called the mellow mm. and i was so fired up about this thing it was like going to be like the the keurig sous vide machine and the idea it was just brilliant like you put this thing on your counter and you filled it with water and if you wanted to have a steak dinner tomorrow night at 6 p.m yeah you would go in and you would say steak tomorrow night at 6 p.m and then you would take the steaks in the bag put it in the water and then it would chill the water to like refrigerator temperature and keep it floating there, not spoiling until it became time to start cooking it because you know, they, you know, it wanted to be done at six and then, then it would cook it. And so you would just like arrive home and it would be, so it was like another level of crock pot thing. Like you could literally do it two days before and then it would eventually like start cooking itself when it was time. Um, And it worked flawlessly one time uh and then that was the end of it right and it, we, I, this son of a bitch i one sent the time. thing back 
and it broke and and it, and then ah, and then they were just, they had all these things like oh just you know poach some eggs and there's put some eggs freaking egg got all uh, in the bottom and then uh, they sent me another one and then they went out of business and i have a sordid past with kickstarter i was i was a guy that did that and then i also if you've ever seen the coolest cooler which is one of the greatest kickstarters of all time the biggest flame outs ever i actually had a coolest cooler which was like this epic like cooler and then the guy you know, it was one of the biggest Kickstarters of all time. He's trying to raise like 150 grand or something like that. I think there's mm-hmm. a documentary on him. He's trying to raise 150 grand to make this incredible cooler that had a radio and lights and a blender that was built into wow. it. And it was amazing. And he, he was trying to raise 150 grand and he didn't cap it. And he, he made such a good video about it that he ended up selling like $10 million Whoa. worth of them. But the Whoa. problem was he priced it. He priced it wrong. And so he lost 80 bucks on every one. And so he had this massive business problem where he had this huge, this huge influx of orders and he lost money on every one of them. And the only reason I got one was he admitted to that to everybody on the Kickstarter, sent out an email and said, look, if you're willing to spend 90 bucks, which is how much I would lose on that. If you'll send the 90 bucks in, I will get yours to you. You'll jump to the front of the line, which I don't know. Was that ethical? I don't know. But I said, I'm, just, I'm like that idiot at the at the craps table. Like I'm, I'm all in, you know. I threw another ninety bucks in, yeah, yeah. and I got my coolest cooler, and it really was badass. Like I had a lot of fun with it. I would take it out places, but that guy promptly went out of business because more most people did not uh, come to his rescue, and he, there was like a class action lawsuit. And I think there was a documentary about it, and I feel bad for the guy because it was an it was an incredible idea, extraordinarily well executed, and one little detail that he missed, which was pricing that out all the way, and not capping his Kickstarter, um, sunk him. That's one of the rare versions of you seeing somebody sold too well and it put him out of business, right? Because they didn't have one of their other details right. Oh my goodness, that breaks my heart because it's such a, it's like you're saying, it's like one detail. He was one, he was like one number away from making a killing and he, man, yep. and I can feel the pain in your voice from that first product too. I feel like you really went through something there and geez. He had a great one. Yeah, I mean, Kickstarter's great, but you just never know what you're going to get. I've, I've picked some losers on Kickstarter, which is, I don't really back products like that anymore because I've, I've picked some losers. <laughs> Well, it's like, I mean, to to Kickstarter's credit, it's always really fascinating ideas. But from what I found, and even in the short stories you've shared, it's like people with great ideas that don't have the experience of executing on the back end. So it becomes really hard once they do get funded because it's like, oh, this is a great idea. Now I have to actually make it. Oh, man. Oh, uh, where do I go from yep. here? Yep. It's totally right. I, I've I've had a saying I've said many times on the show. Like, if you you can go further in your career with a bad idea that's brilliantly executed than you can with a great idea that's poorly executed. And a, and a great example of that is, you know, I had a uh, what I still say it was an objectively great idea. Prior to I started a company called Proctor U. Prior to Proctor U, my buddies and I, the same guys that created Proctor U some of the same guys that were in the beginning um, were working on something called realtor clicks. And it was essentially Zillow before there mm-hmm. was a Zillow. Mm-hmm. Um, and we built this thing and we were, it was a great idea, right? It made sense, but we just didn't execute it well. We didn't have the connections. We didn't understand the market. We didn't, and it flopped. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
great idea, poor execution equals failure. Conversely, like if you've ever seen the guy, forget the guy's name, uh, that started the pet rock, right? Or had the back in the seventies, he literally sold a rock with a face on it and gave it a name and sold at least a million dollars worth of that. And that was when a million dollars is worth a lot more than it is today. Wow. And uh, that's an objectively stupid idea, right? Um, but the guy clearly <laughs> understood marketing and executed it brilliantly and and did very well. And so it's just, you know, even dumb ideas when executed well can, can and may, you know, make some kind of an impact. I think we're going in for the final, the final check here. Oh, those look nice. Oh, we're ready. These bad boys are ready. Haters can't say anything about this. They cannot. They, you hear, the, they you hear see that it. That's the proof. The sizzling. Ooh. That, uh, we've got the, the, oh, yeah. Ooh. Look at that, man. So, now here we got a great thing. We've only got the finest paper plate. That I'm throwing this on right now because that's all I could grab before the show started. The world's finest paper plates. Hey, that's how you know you're grilling. And guess what my kids are having for dinner? This is the same one that keeps trying to fumble on me. Slippery. Slippery little guy. I love it. If you're not watching this on Facebook or YouTube, you're missing out. This is uh, this is the part of the podcast that's meant for video. Hmm. It is. All right, folks. Well, Nick, it was a blast having you here. I definitely want to have you back when Riverside FM is behaving and we can chat a little bit more. Everybody go check out the Nicholas Natali show. Natali. And uh, where can they find that uh, epic podcast? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And that's where you can find it, the Nicholas Natali show. Listen to this episode and then go check it out and then come back to this one and then go check out another just go back and forth. I think that's the best best recipe I can offer. I love it. Folks, if you found anything valuable in this episode, God bless you because it was a shit show. But if you did, <laughs> feel free to tell somebody, tell your friends, please go, <laughs> please go uh, subscribe. Please, uh, you know, find us on YouTube. Find us on, find us on TikTok, 22,000 Strongs. Not a gritty in sight, right? Um <laughs> And uh, we'd love to have more people joining us in our community there. Um, and uh, we will look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Show. <laughs>